My name is Guinevere Lee. I'm the author of Orope the White Snake and Lita and the Samurai. And joining me today is Dr. Sajai Insua. Welcome, like uh, I am Noel, and you are welcome to this podcast. I guess we should say that Noel is a doctor of chemistry, <laughs> not history. No, yeah, not a real doctor. <laughs> well, you have a PhD, so I, I believe that makes us an accredited podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so this podcast is about history and fantasy that we find mostly in Japan, but we are going to talk about other places in the future. This is a podcast that's a companion piece to a story I wrote, Lita and the Samurai, which you can find on chinillo.com. And basically, we're just going to use this podcast to talk about the history and the mythology that is in each chapter. So you don't have to read the story to enjoy the podcast, but if you're curious about what we use all this information for, you can definitely check that out. Yeah, and definitely you are like, a, it's very recommended to do it if you want. Yeah, Noel read the story. Yes, I already did. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so in the first chapter of Lead in the Samurai, we find ourselves in modern day Japan, and it's the celebration of Tanabata. So we're going to talk about Tanabata today. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, we both, like, uh, we are love history, and also we live in Japan. So I think, like, uh, we are in a good position to, like, have this cuties, isn't it? Yeah, we should probably mention that. We, I lived in Japan on and off for about five years. Noel was there for... For three years. Three years. Yeah, we lived in Sendai, which has the most famous... Tanabata festival. Yeah, like uh, by far it's like uh, the bigger Tanabata in Japan and one of the three biggest festivals around Japan. Yeah, so the story of Tanabata comes from this Chinese legend about... Sorry, I gotta get these names correct. <laughs> <laughs> the Chinese names are Jinu and Nulang, which is the weaving princess and the herder boy, the cow herder boy. <laughs> and they're actually a personification of the stars Vega and Altar. Or Altair? Altair. Altair. And like uh, the girl is like uh, the daughter of like uh, the king, isn't it? Yeah, the king of the heavens. Yes. And like uh, she was like a Sirin and she's very good at that. And because she's very busy, like, uh, doing, like, uh, clothes for the father, they have opportunity to meet new people. So she was introducing this boy, like, uh, the cow, I don't know how the to say it. The cow herder. The herder, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so the princess, she's called Orihime in the Japanese version. She is actually the weaver of the Milky Way. So I guess when the Japanese people looked up at the skies back then, they kind of saw the Milky Way as a bolt of cloth across the universe. So she's responsible for weaving it, and she's super lonely. And it's actually, it's her father who sees she's sad yeah. and introduces her to the cow herder. Um, he's actually, well, he's called a cow herder, but he's actually herding stars. Oh, so, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what the connection between cows and stars are, 
but in the stories that I read, he's actually like responsible for keeping the stars in place, basically. Oh, I didn't listen to this, this version. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of the yeah. interpretation, I think. Yeah, of course. At the end, they are separated from the Milky Way, so yeah, it makes sense in the end. <laughs> so they fall in love, and they get married, and they're super happy, but they're too happy. They, too much happy. There's just all, <laughs> all the happiness, and they both stop doing their job. So she stops weaving the Milky Way, and all the stars wander in the sky, and it's just chaos. And so the dad is pissed off about this and decides to separate the two lovers, which is a pretty tragic story, I suppose. Yeah, well, the mythology, I think it is plen plenty full of these kind of histories. Yeah, I just think it's kind of funny that the dad, he wants her to have love, and as soon as she has it, he's like, no, you're enjoying this too much. No, I want you to have love as long as you're still doing me clothes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Who told you to stop weaving? <laughs> They're separated, but I believe I read one story where there's like a flock of magpies and they feel so terrible yeah. for the lovers that they decide to make a bridge to connect the two and that they can cross that only on the seventh day of the seventh month. The one that I read is they are allowed to be together one day, but it is no bridge. So oh. thanks for like the tires of like a beggar. Like the cranes offer for like a make a bridge with the wings in order to like a beggar be able to cross. Oh, okay. But the condition of the cranes is they only will make that if it is not raining. Right. <laughs> and it is one of the reasons because like the people pray for don't be raining on Tanabata. Not only for enjoy the festival, but it's also because this year like a beggar and altar don't be able to like a meet. Yeah. And they must wait until the next year. Exactly. And you know what? In Well, in the five years that I was in Japan, I never saw it rain on Tanabata. Here you go. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess we should talk a little bit about what the festival is. Sure. So it's been in Japan for about 1,200 years. Yeah, they start in the Heian period. Yeah. That is between 9th and 10th century. But the festival itself actually dates back about 2,600 years. Yeah. Or at least the legend surrounding the festival. They don't, maybe they don't know exactly when they started celebrating it. So it's almost 3,000 years old. But like, uh, it started to like become more and more popular, especially like in Edo period. That is when like uh, the Sendai festival start to like uh, take like a recognition. So the basic idea is that people make wishes on Tanabata and they write th those wishes on little pieces of paper and then they tie those pieces to bamboo trees. And the kind of traditional wish is that women, or I guess mostly girls, yes. it was more for kids, you know, girls would ask to have better weaving and sewing skills, which makes sense because, you know, the weaving princess. Yes. Um, and boys. also back of days was like a yeah. one job, like a signal to like a yeah. woman's. And it was important for women to know that yes. back then. And men would wish for better calligraphy. 
Yes. <laughs> because unfortunately, back in days, they are the only one yeah. that write. <laughs> Women did not get to learn how to write back then. And also like Korea, that probably it is not uh, like in modern days, but the girls like uh, threw one needle in one cup of water. And if the needle flowed, means that like, uh, her skills will improve. <laughs> Things that probably don't occur very often, do, but... Do you think they would cheat and use a wooden needle? And be like, look, it floated! No, the gods will know it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, these paper decorations, as soon as it's Tanabata, all around the city, people will tie up bamboo branches with paper streamers coming off of them. And the most famous decoration are these big balls of paper with hundreds of streamers coming off of them. So they kind of look like comets. Yeah. But I think they're actually meant to represent the Milky Way. Yeah, like the, um, the, like the, the hanging parts. But the funny part is like the ball in the top was one originally for one company that in like the shower period they start to like uh, patrocinate the festival. So it was an advertisement? <laughs> In back in days, it was an advertisement, but then we're still conserving the, the shape. Well, you know, actually, if you look at the decorations that they put up in the Sendai Arcade, which, um, I mean, they just have thousands of these yes, it's, massive, it's massive am streamers. Amazing. Like, I think they're four meters high each. But a lot, yeah, of them are, a lot of them are donated by companies, mm -hmm. so you'll see the company name yes. on them. <laughs> so they are, I guess, still kind of advertisements. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I one year there was a whole row of Pokemon ones that were pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> of course, every year must be ones. <laughs> yeah, so I mentioned earlier that the festival is held on the seventh day of the seventh month. Yes. But it's... it's a little confusing because that's actually supposed to be the lunar calendar, which is not the same as the solar calendar. Yeah. The traditional date is actually closer to August 7th yeah. in today's solar calendar. So a lot of places in Japan celebrate it in July because they go by the like the 7-7. Yeah. But in Sendai, they celebrate it in August to correspond with the actual lunar calendar. In fact, like the corresponding festival that they made in China, they actually follow the, the like the specific like uh, lunar calendar. Yeah. So every year, like uh, it is like a match in a different date. Yeah, I was actually looking that up because it's always a different day in August, but Sendai always holds it from August sixth to August eighth. Yeah, this will make a little bit sense just and for proposing. next year, August 7th is actually going to be the lunar calendar Tanabata, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. In 2019, you should go to Sendai for a <laughs> wild party. <laughs> After these streamers are put up, basically what people do is they just go out and enjoy the decorations. So a lot of younger people, especially women, will wear yukatas. Um, usually, usually the boys wearing yukatas have been dragged along by their girlfriends. Yeah, but well, probably like the boys like wear yukatas as well. But the boys yukatas used to be like not so colorful. So yeah. don't like you don't notice very much probably. <laughs> yeah, yukatas are so beautiful. They're cotton kimonos, so. They're a little easier to wear in the humidity of yes. August. 
terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually didn't mind it. I, I did that two years, actually. I got, I got dressed up in a yukata, and I went out, and, you know, I went with a group of friends, and there's stalls all along the arcade with the decorations, so you can buy food, and there's games you can And they have also the parades that are like amazing. Yes. <laughs> have you seen any of the parades? Yeah, I mean like uh, in fact like in my three years there I miss my two first Anabatas because happened because it is like in August instead of July. August was like my holidays time and yeah, I, I wanted to spend some time like I'm making a small trip. So I just miss the Tanabata in like uh, Sendai. But my my last year there, I'd be able to like uh, enjoy the Tanabata. Yeah, I was going to say that in August, that's the week-long holiday for most people. There's like three weeks throughout the calendar year that everyone kind of gets off. And it's New Year's, and then in the beginning of May, and then in August. So it's usually people go on vacation during Tanabata. And if at like at the city during that week, they double the population. It's oh, yeah. incredible. It's not, it's not just other Japanese people either. There's uh, Suddenly there's just tons of foreigners everywhere. <laughs> Sendai is one of those cities where you'll see foreigners once in a while, but <laughs> not so often, right? No, because it is in the north, so <laughs> yeah. it is like a far from like a, the main attraction, yeah. attracting city. So, so during Tanabata, it always takes even us by surprise that yeah, <laughs> suddenly there's, oh, where'd all these white people come from? Yeah. <laughs> But it, yeah, it's it's super fun. It's really relaxing. There's a lot of fireworks and stuff. Yes. I had some interesting facts about Tanabata. In Sendai, they have a football slash soccer team mm -hmm. called Vagalta. And that is a conjugation of the words Vega and Altair. Oh. Which, because Tanabata is so big it's in the Sendai. It's the big thing in Sendai. Yeah, so even their football slash soccer team is named after Tanabata. Yeah. The name Tanabata is actually a pun. Yeah, it is true. <laughs> I love Japanese puns, so <laughs> I, I was all over this one. Kanji for Tanabata is actually supposed to be read Shichiseki. There's a few different ways you can read it. Tanabata is also the name for a loom. There was a ceremony in August where Trine Girls, Miko, they would use this loom to make a bolt of cloth that they would offer up. So they took the, the reading of Tanabata and put it with the kanji for Shisiseki. Yeah, because since like Heian period, like uh, the both like traditions start to like uh, come together yeah. and finally they converge and adopt that name. Puns are never funny when you have to explain them, but trust <laughs> me, I laughed when I realized <laughs> that it was a pun. One of the original names for Tanabata was Kikoden, which translates literally as the festival to plead for skills. <laughs> yeah, as we command, like for sewing or writing. Yeah, to, to beg the gods yes. for better sewing and writing. So I guess just quickly if we want to talk about the story. Yeah. So those who haven't read Lita and the Samurai. That you should. <laughs> thanks for joining us. Yeah, so obviously the first chapter, it takes place during 
Tanabata, as I mentioned before. I have to confess that the character's experience with Tanabata is very similar to my own first experience, where the month leading up, to a lot of my students were asking me to come to the stores and go yukata shopping with them because they just thought it was, I don't know, funny or... <laughs> and also because in Sendai it is not so many like a foreigners, they become so excited to yes. like a bring all of these foreigners to like a, their traditions, yes. like yes. a show, the city and whatever. Yeah, they love sharing their traditions with people. So they were really excited to get me out to a store and dress me up in a yukata and, and take me out and show me all the sights. So it was just a really fantastic experience. And I thought it would be a cool beginning to a story. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I mean, like, unfortunately, we cannot say much more about the history yet. No, but, but like, uh, we will talk about about it in the future yeah. chapters of this podcast. So we're definitely going to delve a lot into the Edo era. Yes. The main core of the story takes place there. So we're going to talk a lot about, you know, warfare back then, go over what shoguns and samurai... The history, the relation with, like, the foreigners that they are very important in that period. Yeah, the European trade, or the lack of European yeah. trade, rather. I, uh, think, I think it's a very interesting, like, a period from, like, the history of Japan. Yeah, so we're going to go and delve into a lot of that in the coming months. So hopefully you guys join us, and... I guess we should say Iterashai. Yes, thank you so much for listening. So, Iterashai! You don't question why you're running through a forest of bamboo. You don't give yourself time to think. You run, you scream, you cry. You run and run and run, and you hope the man chasing you with a bow and arrow doesn't kill you. Lita and the Samurai is a tale of a modern girl in ancient Japan. Only available on Chanillo.com. That's C-H-A-N-N-I-L-L-O.com. Lita, a young woman who moved to Japan to escape her abusive family, is slowly adjusting to her new life. She's learning Japanese, making friends, and enjoying the summer festivals. On the day of the famous Tanabata festival, she finds a small shrine. But when she steps out of the shrine, she steps into Edo-era Japan. Trapped 400 years in Japan's past, what follows is half fantasy, half historical fiction. Is her coming here an accident? Or does it have something to do with the sudden appearance of European ships off the coast? Lita must discover how she ended up in this situation and how she can get back home, or if she even wants to go back. Lita and the Samurai updates bi-weekly on Mondays. You can read the first chapter for free on Chanillo.com. Once again, that's C-H-A-N-N-I-L-L-O.com. We were the first, and we will be the last. From Morgan James Fiction comes the exciting new historical fantasy Orope, the White Snake, by Guinevere Lee. The whispers of the gods have seen the vision, the gods destroying the world in a flood because the old ways have been corrupted and forgotten. Three are chosen, Tersh, Kareth, and Shadi, to go out and warn the world. The gods must be appeased. In Orope, the White Snake, Tersh must leave her children and travel to Matawe, the kingdom in the mountains. She also must care for Kareth, and keep him out of trouble. Kareth, told since birth that he is destined for greatness, has been expecting this moment. Certain that he is ready, he quickly discovers that his confidence and curiosity have a tendency to lead him into dangerous situations. Shadi finds himself traveling alone to find the people of the jungle, the Petsahalpa, 
The jungle seems like a paradise until he discovers the darker rituals practiced within. Samaki is a merchant who returns to Mahat to find his home destroyed, his father dead, and no one to buy his expensive cargo. With his first mate, Chuhark, the merchant struggles to move forward after his entire world has been upended. The stories of these four travelers intersect and entwine with each other as they move towards their destinations. Guided by visions, the whispers must use their wits to survive in these strange new lands that would rather use them as political pawns than listen to their warnings. Available in paperback, digital, and audio wherever books are sold. To learn more about Guinevere Lee and her writing, visit GuinevereLee.com. G-U-E-N-E-V-E-R. R-E-L-E-E dot com. And thank you for listening. Music provided by bensound.com.